0: When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ talk and text line at 855-616-1620.
2: Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well... All right. After millions and millions and millions of dollars of advertising, it is all over, but the shouting, or at least it is generally all over, but the shouting, as uh, we were talking about earlier, Mandela Barnes has not spoken publicly about what now appears to be his loss in the U.S. Senate race uh, yesterday uh, he has not conceded, but we're told that he's going to be making some remarks. One of our texters said, well, th- does it matter if he concedes or not? And I said, well, no, it really – it doesn't matter. The numbers are what the numbers are. In Wisconsin, he, here is Here it ha- is how it works. If a candidate in a, a race, a statewide race, for example, uh, loses by less than 1 percent, 1 percent or less of the vote – they can request a recount. So there's that possibility. Now here's the, the catch. That candidate has to pay for, or the campaign has to pay for the, the recount unless the race is only decided by 0.25%. So you have to be within 0.25% to request, to have the taxpayers pay for a recount. Um, if you're within 1%, you can request a recount in the hope that something changes, but you have to pay for it. I, I don't know what the Barnes campaign would do right now. The last time I looked at numbers, they were um, slightly outside. Johnson was leading by slightly more than than one percent, but just slightly more. So, don't know how that's ultimately going to end up. But the, the chances—I mean, right now the margin is, you know, what 30,000 votes, whatever that is—that the chance of a recount. Changing anything is I, I think pretty much non-existent sometimes if you've if you've got 50 votes or 100 votes one way or the other. But when you're talking about you know, tens of thousands of votes, that, that's not going to change in a recount. But that's really the only thing. I mean, Mandela Barnes can say, I'm not going to concede and I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait and see until, you know, we, we make sure that every vote is counted and we'll see where we go. That, that That's fine. It doesn't matter whether he uh, decides to concede or not. Most of the networks have now called the race for Ron Johnson. So let's unpack exactly what happened here. Um, it, it was not a Republican wave, as many people saw. At the same time, it, it wasn't that terrible a night for the Republican Party. Now, they didn't meet expectations maybe, but, but here is the bottom line. Republicans at the end of the night are going to take control of the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi will no longer be the Speaker of the House. Now, most of the estimates say that the Republicans are going to pick up enough, they're going to end up with – like, you need 218 for control of the House of Representatives. They're going to end up with 221, 222. So they, they are going to take control. So that is a pickup. Um, a lot of people were thinking that the Republicans could pick up the United States Senate. I thought 52 was likely. That is still very, very much up in the air. The way it stands right now, with Ron Johnson being declared the victor, is Democrats have 48 seats— Republicans have 48 seats, and there are four states that are still in play. Alaska is going to be Republican. They just haven't totaled all the votes yet. The two top vote-getters in Alaska are both Republicans, so that will be a Republican seat. That takes the Republicans up to 49 seats. Arizona the results are are still pending, but it looks like the Democrat senator is going to be reelected, so that takes the Democrats to 49 seats. So it's looking to me like it's 49-49. That then, um, Nevada, right now, Nevada is the Republican challenger, is winning by somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 votes. But in Nevada, it's one of these states where mail-in ballots are counted as long as they are postmarked by Election Day and received by the end of the week. So there will be ballots that will be coming in um, over the course of the next couple days. And to make matters even more interesting, in Nevada, Friday is a holiday for Veterans Day, so like, there, there's not going to be any counting of votes on Friday. So I don't think there's going to be an announcement Uh, until Saturday. Right now, the Republican leads, like I say, by about 20,000 votes, but there are a bunch of votes out there and that could change. If the Republican would hold, Laxalt would hold, that would give the Republicans 50 seats, which is what they have now, and the Democrats 49. If that lead holds, if it flips, if Arizona somehow, if Nevada somehow would pick it up, then it'd be 50 for the Democrats, which brings us to Georgia once again. In Georgia, the incumbent Senator Warnock is in pretty much a dead heat with Herschel Walker, the former football player. They both have 49 percent of the vote. Here's here's the interesting thing about Georgia. If you have a candidate, if no candidate gets 50 percent plus one of the vote, 50 percent plus one vote, you have a runoff. And there's a libertarian candidate in Georgia who's pulling about 2 percent of the vote. And the Georgia Secretary of State is already saying, um, just based on the the math that is out there, it doesn't look like either candidate, Warnock or Herschel Walker, despite hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on advertising, it does not appear that either one – of those candidates is going to get to 50% plus one of the vote. So it appears that four weeks from yesterday, December 6th, there will be a runoff in Georgia with just the two candidates, um, Herschel Walker and um, Ralph Warnock. And that will, again, depending on what happens in Nevada, that will decide whether the Senate is 50-50 or whether it's 51-49 Republican versus Democrat. Very much up in the air. So after all this stuff, we're, we're pretty much back to where we were before. But um, if you're in Georgia and you know you're and you love election ads, you are in the place to be because there will be, if you think there's been a lot of money spent um, so far, just you ain't seen nothing yet. So that's kind of where we stand. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, let me try to unpack the state election results and explain to you why, at least in my opinion, we really aren't a purple state. Stick around. So there is Mandela Barnes conceding, as we talked about earlier, um, if I think as it stands right now, the, the vote total would be would, was slightly outside the margin with which you could have requested a, a recount, and even if it got within 1%, the campaign would have had to pay for a recount, and when, when you're tens of thousands of votes behind, even out of 2.6 million votes cast, it, it, it just becomes, the, the math becomes daunting. But I thought that was a classy classy remarks from Mandela Barnes. I thought Tim Michaels was classy in his concession speech yesterday, so we, we now... No, Tony Evers will be the governor for four more years. Ron Johnson returns to Washington to be the state senator for six more years. The Republicans in the state assembly pick up an... They pick up three seats. Now, to get to 66 seats in the assembly, they needed to pick up five. So they fall a little bit short, but they did pick up three seats. They have 64 seats. The Democrats have 35. So the assembly overwhelmingly Republican. Republicans in the state senate pick up a seat and they do have what would be called a veto-proof majority. They've got two-thirds of the state Senate, 22 state senators are Republican, 11 are Democrats. So the the representation appears to be overwhelmingly Republican. In the one national pickup that is out there, the – the seat that has been held for years and years by Ron Kind, who's kind of La Crosse, Eau Claire, that sort of area um, in western Wisconsin, that seat did flip. The Republicans picked that up. So in Wisconsin, the makeup of the congressional delegation is six Republicans and two Democrats, and that is a gain of one. As we were talking about earlier, the Republicans are going to take control of the House of Representatives. Um, Come next January, Nancy Speaker Nancy Pelosi will no longer be the Speaker of the House. Presumably it's going to be Kevin McCarthy. But again, just like the the Democrats had a very, very narrow majority, the Republicans will have a very narrow majority as well. And as we said, control of the U.S. Senate is still very much up for grabs. The way it looks to me right now is... Republicans have a lock on 49 seats because they're going to win Alaska. Uh, Democrats have a lock probably on 49 seats because they're going to win Arizona, which means we're going to have to see what happens in Nevada. The Republican Senate candidate is ahead by 20,000 votes. But in Nevada, any any mail vote that is postmarked by yesterday, that is sent in by mail, has to be counted. And there's a whole bunch of votes that are outstanding. So the 20,000 vote margin can disappear. So don't know how that's going to turn out. And then once again in Georgia, because neither candidate got 50% plus one vote, there is going to be a runoff um, on December 6th. So we're not going to know for sure who controls the U.S. Senate, presumably, well, for a while. If the Democrats pick up Nevada, then Republicans would have to pick up Georgia to get it back to 50-50. So Time will tell. All right, when we come back, I want to break down and unpack some of the state numbers and what it means moving forward. I want to talk about a couple of the campaigns, and then we're going to move away from the election. One of the the races that's kind of interesting is Bob Donovan. Remember Bob Donovan? longtime Milwaukee alderman, ran for mayor. He is running as a Republican for the state assembly. The district, I think it's like the 84th Assembly District, and it's the— Let's see. It's the kind of the the southwest portion of Greenfield and big chunk of New Berlin. And I think there's a little bit of a chunk of Greendale that's in there. In any event, he is leading um, out of twenty five thousand votes cast. He's ahead by like five hundred votes now. There's more to be cast. But if these numbers hold. If they hold. Looks like Bob Donovan will be moving from City Hall out to the state legislature to represent the 84th Assembly District if those numbers hold. All right. When we come back, it's really not a purple state. I'll explain. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Let's kind of unpack what happened. And um, what what you saw is Tony Evers wins re-election by about 90,000 votes. Uh, Ron Johnson wins reelection by in the, in the neighborhood of about 30,000 votes. But if you look at where these votes came from, it's just to me, it is just so very fascinating. Now, I understand in many states There's a difference between urban and rural, and you'll have, for example, Ohio. You'll have um, a couple – the state of Ohio is largely geographically Republican, but you've got Cincinnati. You've got Cleveland in particular. You've got a couple cities that are overwhelmingly Democrat, and that's where a lot of votes come from for Democrats versus the rest of the state for Republicans. But I'm willing to bet that there's no state where the difference is as dramatic as Wisconsin. But let's just take the let's just take the Johnson Barnes race as an example. All right. Um, the the numbers are that Johnson wins the Senate by about, you know, twenty seven thousand votes. He gets one point three three four million Approximately, Barnes gets 1.307, so that's about about 27,000 votes. Now, Dane County, which includes the city of Madison, if you look at the totals there, Barnes 231,735, Johnson 68,194 votes. So Barnes wins Dane County by a margin of 163,000 votes. Milwaukee County, Barnes, he gets 70% of the vote, 243,000 votes. Johnson gets 103,000. So between, between Dane County and Milwaukee County, those two counties, you're talking about where about 478,000 of the 1.3 million votes that Barnes got came from. I mean, by and large, he he wins with huge margins in those two states, in those two counties. Dane County, he runs up a margin of 163,000. Milwaukee County, he runs up a margin of 140,000. So that's 303,000 votes difference, 303,000 more votes than Johnson got in just those two counties. So if you look at the numbers of the rest of the state, the entire rest of the state, Johnson beats Barnes by, well, in a neighborhood of uh, 300 and um, about 30-some thousand votes. So he wins Wisconsin geographically, overwhelmingly, but also overwhelmingly loses Dane County and the Milwaukee County. So it's so interesting. When people talk about Wisconsin being purple. Wisconsin is not purple. And I don't know what the lesson of this is for candidates. Wisconsin is essentially Two different states. It is the two counties, Milwaukee and Dane County, which are overwhelmingly Democrat in voting. Milwaukee County is 70 percent, goes for Johnson, a little bit more for Evers. Dane County, 77 percent. Three out of every four ballots that are cast go for Johnson, a little bit even more for Evers. Overwhelmingly Democrat. And the other 72 counties are Republican. Some of those counties overwhelmingly Republican. So I if we are always going to have this split until Republicans can either figure out a way to run candidates who are able to siphon some of those votes out of Dane County and Milwaukee County. I mean, if you, you pick up Ron Johnson picks up 5% more of the vote in Dane County or in um, Milwaukee County. And this race isn't close at all. Similarly, I guess from the perspective of the Democrats, if they could figure out a way to pick up 5 percent more of the vote in the collar counties around southeastern Wisconsin or whatever, you know, then, then, you know, Mandela Barnes isn't conceding like he did a while ago. It's just to me absolutely fascinating that you have this sort of split. And I understand you've got an urban rural split a lot of places in the country. But again, I stand by my comment. I don't know that there's anywhere in the country where the split is as dramatic as this. And it's why it was true 25 years ago, and it's really true now. If Democrats are going to win statewide, what they have to do is get massive turnout in Dane County, and they had massive turnout in Dane County. I was looking at some reports yesterday suggesting that in some precincts, the, the turnout was 100% and more because you had people that were showing up and they were registering because we allow people to register on the same day. And that's 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 entirely possible. I, I, I get why that was happening. But you have all these numbers coming out of Dane County and coming out of Milwaukee County, and that that's where the base is. And the rest of the state, no, the rest of the state is Republican. So moving forward... If, if we're not going to have this sort of split electorate, where, like I say, Republicans have to figure out a way to just carve out 5% more. I mean, just 5% more of the vote in Dane County or Milwaukee County, and they win in a walkover. And similarly, Democrats, if they could figure out a way to make inroads in the rest of the state, um, just 5% more of the vote, it's completely and totally different. But so far, nobody appears to have figured out how to do that. Right. right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, a couple comments on the governor's race, and then, um, well, we, we, we're not going to spend the whole day on elections, but got some more stuff to say. Stick around. Okay, I want to put this question to you. Um, Ron Johnson wins, close margin, but he ends up winning. Tony Evers wins re-election. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I mean, there there is – one of the things that you're seeing all across the country is there a, there is a value to incumbency, you know, even, you know, vulnerable – People who are perceived as vulnerable um, if, if you've been elected once or twice, sometimes it's tough to defeat those people who hold office. And I think you see that across the country, and you there is a value that Ron Johnson has being the incumbent. There's a value that Tony Evers had being the incumbent. It's it's not unheard of to defeat an incumbent, but it's always a little bit more difficult. So here is my question to you. Tony Evers wins re-election yesterday, runs up a margin of about ninety thousand votes. Again, you know, vastly vastly his margin comes from, again, Dane and Milwaukee County. But nevertheless, that's what the margin is. He wins. Why do you think Tim Michaels lost? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Michaels spent a lot of money. Uh, Tim Michaels worked really, really hard. I don't think there's any question about it. He worked really hard. He was out uh, touring the state on a constant basis. There were—I think maybe he got outspent a bit by um, the the Democrats, but it doesn't matter. I mean, still, I always say it's not necessarily who spends the most money. It's whether or not you have enough money to get your message out, and he um, clearly, you know, did that. So my question is, why do you think he came up short? Uh, in many respects, an attractive candidate. I mean, a businessman um, got a record of success, well known in the state of Wisconsin. It's not like he was a carpetbagger or anything like that. Although, you know, there were some arguments that well, he, you know, he had, had his place in New York. I'm not sure that really stuck. But why do you think Tim Michaels came up short? Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, it, I, I think I've said this before. It's, it's I mean, it's, it's no. Secret um, In the Republican primary, I mean, I I voted for Rebecca Clayfish. Um, I thought she would have been a superior candidate to take on to take on Tony Evers. But Republican voters didn't see it the way that I saw it. Now, I'm not saying that I think Tim Michaels ran a poor campaign. But um, you you always that that's going to be one of the speculation is that if, you know, Rebecca Clayfish had been the Republican nominee, would the results have been different? But why do you believe that Michaels came up short? 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Stephen in Franklin. Stephen, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Uh, Thanks, Jeff, for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Sure. So what happened? Why did you lose? Well, you see, uh, Wisconsin's a it's a 50 percent Democratic state and 50 percent Republican. So uh, it just so happened that we really went along those lines once again. But I think some people saw through that Tim Michaels really didn't have a presence in the state until last year. So I think some people saw through that and then decided to flip their vote to Evers.
2: Because like he was... Um... He he was sort of Uncle Tony, the guy that was from Wisconsin. He was a known commodity, and people just said, okay, well, this is the guy we know, and so we're going to stick with him.
3: Yeah, and just, you know, I think we've seen that, uh, you know, I'm a businessman instead of a politician, and we've kind of seen that story before, Mm -hmm. and it didn't always play out as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that's what kind of swung the state. And I, I would also add as well, I think this is a good reminder for everyone that the state is, 50-50. Fifty-fifty. So, uh, even though we kind of go into our own um, mm-hmm. bubbles in politics, just keep that in mind and like respect everyone else. I know we don't always do that on the show, but make sure that we respect everyone. Okay, and that uh, we respect everyone's views here as well.
2: Thanks for the call, Steve, and I appreciate it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Why do you think that Tim Michaels came up short? Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Um, As I told your screener, he tries to portray himself as an average Wisconsin person. He's not. He's got a home in Connecticut. He's got a home in New York. He is not an average person by any means. He films commercials wearing jeans and his vest and a work shirt like he's a real tough, hardworking Wisconsinite. He's not. Is a multi-multi-millionaire who got money from the Wisconsin taxpayers. So he's trying to portray himself as one of us, and he's not. Okay, good Not enough. at all. All right. Thank, call.
2: Okay, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I, didn't mean to, I want to get to as many calls as I can. So, okay, I get the idea. The idea was that uh, Tim Michaels is kind of a fake. He really wasn't, you know, wasn't a Wisconsin guy. Okay, let's talk to—I'm um, curious as to what, what people think. Jim in Hale's Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff.
1: Um, We can't stand Trump, and my wife especially can't stand Trump. And she felt that uh, Michaels was a little bit too close to Trump and that uh, if, uh, you know, uh, come uh, a few more years from now when when people are running, if, if this would have helped Trump in any way of being associated if he got in as governor, Mm-hmm. She would have had a conniption fit. So you
2: think the I bet Trump? I don't en- hear that word too often. Well, no, not 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 anymore. <laughs> no, but I know, I know. Okay, so you you think that the, the Trump endorsement, which was key, yeah. I think, in getting him the nomination over Rebecca Clayfish. I mean, I think that was a key that helped him. He just ran up huge margins, you know, in the rural states, youth in the rural areas. Yeah. You think okay. that endorsement yeah. hurt him in the general election? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, thanks. For, I, we, we're going to talk more about Donald Trump in the next hour of the program. But by the way, I, I don't I don't disagree. I know a lot of people, uh, and it, it's just anecdotal, you know, because that's the problem. You try to, you know, make predictions based on just some people around you. But I know a lot of people who were, in fact, telling me they were going to split their ticket, that they were going to vote for Ron Johnson, but they, they had issues with Tim Michaels. And part of it was that that Trump— endorsement. And again, we're going to discuss this in more detail in the next hour of the program about where Donald Trump goes from here. But I, I do I acknowledge I was I, I think that I think that there are a lot of people who might otherwise lean to vote Republican who were turned off by the link to Trump. And while it was crucial to helping Tim Michaels win the primary, I think it, it was I think it was an albatross around his neck in the general election. Let's talk to Ted in Pewaukee. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ted.
1: I would have to agree. Hi, Jeff.
2: Hi, Ted.
1: I would have to agree with the with the Trump angle. Uh, I voted for Rebecca Clayfish in the primary. Yeah, right. Reluctantly, I voted for Michaels in the in yesterday's election, but I. I, I think he was damaged by the Trump uh, angle. In addition to that, the sexual allegations against some people in his company that kept playing out in some of the political ads.
2: Yeah, I, I will tell you, Ted, and, thanks for the call. I, 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 I actually agree with both of you. I, I agree with both of the things. I think the Trump endorsement hurt him in the general election. I think the the ads about the, these claims of sexual harassment about the company, which I personally believe as a political issue, I, I think I think it was BS. But I don't think that the Michaels campaign did a good job of responding to those. And I, I mean, I have some ideas as how I would have done it, but I mean, I'm more on the inside. I, I also I kept waiting. For the the attack ads to come out about Evers saying, okay, well, if you think it's fair to raise these issues, let's look at all the different sexual harassment claims that were filed, you know, against the state of Wisconsin um, when Evers was in, you know, the superintendent of public schools, or let's look at what's been filed over the last couple of years. But for whatever reason, the, the Michaels that the Michaels campaign didn't didn't do that. They didn't respond, and I think those ads. Fairly or unfairly, doesn't matter. Fairly or unfairly, I think that that, I think that that ended up hurting him, and I kept waiting for the response. Um, let's talk to Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Why did Tim Michaels lose?
1: Yeah, to me, uh, this was a good start to your day because it's the an easy answer. It's pretty clear it's a Trump endorsement because you have Johnson winning— Roughly, presumably, we can assume it's all the same voters. Yeah. They voted for Johnson. They didn't vote for Michaels. I mean, it's really clear. I mean, that's how we went in. And we we also weren't really excited about Michaels. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, Rebecca Clayfish, to me, was was the candidate. And even when I talk with my, I and mean, I live in Madison, I mean, even when I talk with my left and center-left friends, they, they didn't they didn't dislike yeah. Rebecca Clayfish, which is a long way to go from Michael's, which I think he had the same campaign that was, it was almost a Trumpian campaign if you watched it. And I, I just think in Wisconsin that doesn't work. And I'm, I'll end here by saying I'm really excited for the rest of your show because yeah. I'm, I'm really hopeful Trump's done after this one because he's, <laughs>
2: he's just killing it. Got it. Well, thank, Mike, thanks for the call. You stick around for the next hour of the program because that's what we're going to be talking about. But I, 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 I agree. And look, and I, I don't I don't mean to Monday morning quarterback this, and I, I think Tim Michaels worked really, really hard, and I think he would have been a good governor. I, I think Rebecca Clayfish would have been the stronger candidate. you know, And, and, and there were Democrats, you know, and, and I think this is kind of cynical, but there were Democrats who were hoping that Michaels got the nomination and were in their own ways kind of supporting Michaels over Clayfish because they thought that he was going to be the easier-to-beat candidate for a number of reasons, but I think that the Trump factor was one of them. Now, would it have... Would it have played out differently? I I don't know. You know Rebecca Clayfish. You know I'm I'm sure there would have been attacks against her, but she was you you know being female. You you wouldn't have had the well your 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 company was responsible for you know we're, we're going to tar you with this the, the allegations that there were sexual assault stuff fair or unfair you wouldn't have had that issue. Um, if there were challenges to Tim Michaels you know, being the election denier and that sort of stuff. Well, that wasn't, you know, it was tough to put that on Rebecca Clayfish. She was clearly conservative, but it would have been a different campaign. And I guess one of the questions is, you know, Michael's, that was one of his big deals is that he was able to put money in and kind of help semi-self fund. But uh, I think there would have been plenty of money for Rebecca Clayfish. But that's, I think that's one of the things that Republicans have to look at moving forward was did ultimately they choose the best candidate to run. Just like I think Democrats, are got to be soul searching saying, okay, was Mandela Barnes really the best candidate? If, if we had, instead of anointing him as the chosen one, if we had run with, um, on with Sarah Godlewski, for example, the state treasurer out of Madison, or Tom Nelson, the county executive in Appleton, would, would we have done better? And I think the answer is, yeah, they, they would have too. Um, I think that's something that Democrats have to look at. All right. When we come back, I want to talk about Trump. I want to talk about one of the giant issues that remains the elephant in the room and how it should be dealt with in Wisconsin moving forward and a lot more. Stick around.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's
2: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, I always... Sometimes... I try to pull back the curtain on what goes on here, and we, we have a text line, and people call in, and they, you know, we talk to them on the phone, but then the, the great thing about the text line is it gives you an opportunity to also participate in the show, and sometimes I, I will say, oh, we're, we're being swamped with this, and and I understand there's this question, does that mean you've got two or three, and you're trying to pretend you're swamped with stuff? And, and no, that, that's not the case. A lot of you listen to this program, and I appreciate that, and a lot of people like to interact. I, I stopped, just to give you an idea, my, my question was, why did Tim Michaels lose? And I I, I can't read all the texts, but um, I, I stop. I think we hit like, <laughs> after like 150 in that one segment, the people, so there, there's a lot of people who have been texting me and bombarding me with their, their different theories as to why, you know, Michael's lost. And I say that because lots of people have opinions, but there, there are two things which are emerging. one. We will talk about in a little bit, and it's an issue that I think Republicans have to figure out in Wisconsin how they're going to deal with this moving forward. But the overwhelming, the number one, you know, if you were playing Family Feud and the question was, okay, we have surveyed, you know, a hundred Wisconsin conservatives or Republican-leaning voters or independent voters, and we have asked them the question of why is it that Tim Michaels lost? The number one answer, survey says that Donald Trump endorsement. And I'm just I'm just telling you that this is and I I am getting one text after another who said people who say I'm I'm a conservative, I am Republican leaning or I'm independent, but it was the Donald Trump endorsement that just caused me to not support Michaels. That is not an uncommon thing. If you look at the election results from yesterday because what happened and I, I want to move past Wisconsin for just a minute. Donald Trump decided to play in a number of Republican primaries, and as a general rule, there are exceptions. Vance in Ohio is an exception, but Ohio is a is a Republican-leaning state. Donald Trump made endorsements, and a lot of his endorsements were based on, are you an election denier? Are you one of these people who don't believe I lost in 2020? And I think, I just think a lot of people are ready to move on from, from 2020, so he selected – he threw his weight behind uh, various candidates, and they were candidates that were lousy candidates in the general election. You look at Pennsylvania. Uh, okay, he, he endorsed Dr. Oz, Momet Oz, who was about – look – he uh, he was about as bad a choice as you could possibly find. You talk about carpetbaggers. He, he was a guy who was really from, from New Jersey. He was one of these celebrity things. He lost to the, the lieutenant governor Fetterman Fetterman, who had a stroke, for goodness sakes. And and he couldn't pull it off because there, there were other candidates that ran in the primary that I believe would have won that Pennsylvania Senate seat in a walk. But, but they, they weren't— Willing to kiss Trump's ring like he wanted his ring kissed, and so he, he endorses Oz, they they go on to lose. You're you're seeing that play out. New Hampshire, one of the one of the choices I thought if you were going to look for an upset, it might have been the Republican candidate Bulldog, who again ran a very, very strong campaign, but he was endorsed by by Trump. There were other candidates that were out there that were much more, I think, appealing to the the general electorate. And Bulldog, that was one that I I thought maybe Republicans had a chance of picking up, but they didn't. Same thing is true in in Arizona. He picks election deniers because that's what he wants to hear. They win the Republican primary and then they go on and they lose in the general election. I can point to other examples as well. But th- this idea that Trump is a benefit in the general election, Republicans need to get past it. And I will just tell you, again, being swamped with texts, if you ask what's the number one reason why Michael's lost, I'm, I'm hearing over and over again, it is, it is the, the, the Trump endorsement factor. Which brings me to a couple of the other elections that went on last night. If you want to look at, Well, certain states and certain races, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, who got on Trump's bad side, remember, because he refused to essentially decertify the 2020 election in Georgia. He said, I'm not doing this. And Trump did everything he possibly could to defeat Kemp. Kemp was running against that Stacey Abrams who ran against him last time and who never conceded that she lost. Kemp wins in a walkover. Kemp pulls like 54, 55 percent of the vote. Herschel Walker, who was the Trump candidate, well, he's going to be in a runoff, but he's at 49. Kemp outperforms Walker in Georgia by four or five points because Kemp, I think, partly stood up, to, stood up to Donald Trump, wasn't going to be bullied, and he ended up doing well. If you want the best example of this, you just have to go one state further south than Georgia, which is Florida. Ron DeSantis, who is being mocked now by Trump. Let me read you a piece that comes in the Wall Street Journal today in just a moment. But, you know, Ron DeSantis um, wins by, gosh, what was it, 15 or more points? Marco Rubio wins big Florida now is, I mean, Florida is the reddest of red states imaginable. You, you've got Republican; uh, I think they picked up two or three congressional seats in Florida. DeSantis wins in a huge margin. And, and now, you know, Donald Trump is very upset that if he announces that he's going to run for president, that DeSantis might run against him. Well, the point is, I think people are, are ready to move on. Here's the... Um, this is. It was a little piece. I was reading the Wall Street Journal. While I was having my cereal this morning, and, and here's here is the piece. Let me read it to you. Trump warns DeSantis on 2024. Flying from Florida aboard his remodeled Boeing 757 Donald Trump caught a glimpse of himself on television. A fine looking young man, a fine looking candidate. He quipped to a handful of reporters. Then he saw another potential 2024 presidential contender. There's our comp- competitor. He's a fine guy, Mr. Trump said Monday night. He was talking about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who cruised to re-election victory that's going to ratchet up talk of a Trump-DeSantis rivalry that had been on low boil. On Saturday in Pennsylvania, Mr. Trump wrapped him as Ron DeSanctimonious, though he didn't use the nickname the following day in Miami or at the final rally Monday near Dayton, Ohio. I don't know that he's running, Trump said of the 2024 presidential race. I think if he runs, he could hurt himself very badly. Mr. Trump remains the party's heavyweight, but Mr. DeSantis has built a national reputation and a fundraising juggernaut. I think he would be making a mistake, Mr. Trump said. I think the base would not like it. Mr. Trump told reporters Tuesday outside a polling location in Palm Beach that he voted for the governor. Mr. Trump endorsed Mr. DeSantis in his 2018 run for governor, lifting the Tea Party-styled congressman in a Republican primary over the establishment favorite. And then this is what he says. If he runs, he runs, Trump said. But he added, if he did run, I will tell you things about him that won't be very flattering. I know more about him than anybody other than perhaps his wife, who is really running his campaign. So if DeSantis runs, well, he better be prepared. I'm warning him. I'm going to tell you non-flattering stuff about him. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. If you look at what happened to conservatives and Republicans and the Republican candidate in Wisconsin, Tim Michaels, if you look at what happened to other candidates in races that I believe Republicans should have won yesterday, it does come back to one thing, and that's Trump. I think it is important if the Republicans are going to succeed in 2024, they need to move on from Donald Trump. Donald Trump whatever you think of how he was as a president from 2016 to 2020 his time at least in my opinion has passed and the the fact that he is hanging on the fact that he is trying to be a disruptor um all he does is guarantee by his presence that it will be difficult for republicans to win the presidency and maybe win more seats in congress or the senate in 2024 is it time for Donald Trump to just go away. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk talk and text line. Jeff, suburban Republicans and independents will not vote for Donald Trump. Jeff, dump Trump. Jeff, Trump had one term as president, and if he doesn't run, Biden will be a one-term president. Trump should step aside for DeSantis, Jeff, Trump can go far away. I would never consider voting for him again. Um, Jeff, Trump needs to stay. Only rhinos want him to go. Trump speaks the truth about America. Long live Trump. OK, well, all right. You want to take that attitude, then watch then watch Democrats elect Biden again in 2024, whoever else runs and watch You know, just watch winnable seats just go down the tubes. Donald Trump is just flat out. You know, toxic. Jeff, yesterday's election should be enough proof that Trump is the Republican ticket to nowhere. Jeff, I love Trump, but for the good of the GOP, he needs to go away. Um, Let's see, 855-616-1620. Jeff, Trump will hamper the Republican Party. Time to move on, and yeah— I am a Republican. Jeff, I'm a Republican. Trump is toxic to the conservative movement. He needs to go away. He continues to cause chaos nearly two years after he left office. Well, yeah, that's part of the issue that's well um, uh, that That's going on here. Um, let's see. Jeff, Trump is all about his own ego. He hated Rebecca Clayfish because she was in the Walker camp and Walker ran against him. I believe he's that's the only reason he endorsed Michaels. Um, well, it clearly helped Michaels win, but it ended up costing him the election. Jeff, Trump has got to go. However, his narcissistic personality will prevent him from acknowledging he is a liability to the Republican Party. He won't go on his own. He will have to be forced out of the limelight. Wise Republicans will distance themselves from him. Well, that then becomes the question. Somebody posed this. If if he go, follows through with his plans to announce that he is running for president next week, all right, so he's going to get into the campaign— if he starts losing primaries, if it appears that he's not going to get the nomination again because more and more people just say, we, we can't continue to go through this, then the question becomes, does he decide, well, now I'm going to run as a third-party candidate, I'm going to try to siphon votes away from the Republican candidate, wouldn't surprise me. Let's start with Chris in Kiwaskum. Chris, Chris, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hi. Hi, Chris. Uh <laughs> Hi. Yes, I agree that Trump needs to step aside if he wants the Republican Party to win, um, and we all want the Republican Party to win because we cannot handle four more years of a Democratic ruling. So, um, I have his signs still in my yard from the 2020 uh, election, and I love Trump as the president, but it is time for him to step aside.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you're going to take those. T- are you going to take the signs out of your yard now? It's been two years.
0: Yes, I yeah, I will take
2: the signs out of my yard. Okay. All right. I was just, just asking, no, thanks for the call, Chris, in Kewaskam. I was in Kiwaskum the other day. I Just a uh, wonderful community. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ Talk and Text line. I mean, I, I, think, I think the Donald Trump endorsement is toxic. It is not 2016 anymore, I believe. Oh, okay, I'll confess. I didn't think Trump was going to win in 2016, but in my defense, most pundits didn't. Trump won in 2016 because he was the relative unknown candidate. He was a guy that people knew from Celebrity Apprentice and, oh, they bought into this great businessman thing, and people disliked Hillary Clinton. They did. And so Trump was able to put together enough states and cobble together enough states, and that made a difference. Well, after four years, people got tired of the act. And after six years, and especially, you know, what happened on January 6th and the election denial and all that stuff, I think people are ready to move on. And here's the message. If they don't move on, you're going to see what happened in Pennsylvania, and you're going to see what happened, I believe, in Wisconsin, and you're going to see what happened in New Hampshire, and what happened in Arizona. That's going to happen on a more widespread scale. It is time for Donald Trump to move on. John, on the North Side, John, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hi, Jeff. Thanks
2: for John. taking
0: my call. Sure. Uh, yeah, that, that guy needs to. He needs to move on, and I don't think he cares anything about the Republican Party. He wants to get in there to, to, to do other stuff, and and I just think he had his chance, and he knows something on everybody. I guess he knows something on the Sanders now that if he runs, he's like, got to yeah. tell everybody, we don't care. Let the Sanders got the right to run. You know, right. you know whatever he you knows, get it out. Let him go and tell it so yeah. the country can move on.
2: No, you're right. Thanks. So. I, don't, I, I don't think Donald Trump cares about the Republican Party. Donald Trump thinks he, he is— the, the, the Republican Party is the vessel to stroke his ego and stuff. And but but here's the reality: people need to recognize that it is like I just said a minute ago. It's not 2016 anymore, thanks to cauldron. It's not 2016 anymore. And if you you know, one of the problems, just like they always say with wars, that the generals are always fighting the last war. OK, these are the lessons we learned in the last war. This is the way we did it. This is the way we, you know, won World War II. So this is the way we're going to use those tactics to fight the Korean War when it might be different. And this is what we did in World War II and the Korean War. So we're going to use those in Vietnam. Well, it's a different war. You've got to you, you've got to figure out where the electorate is. And And I think a lot of people have moved on. And if they haven't moved on from Trump, even if you love Donald Trump— I think people got to recognize that he's he is toxic to a large number of people. And I, I mean, again, I'm getting hundreds, literally hundreds of texts from people saying, I voted for him in 2016, I voted for him in 2020, never again. We're going to pick it up right there because I've got a couple thing, more things to say. And again, we're continuing to be swamped. If you want to join us, 855 616 1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Back with more in just a moment. <laughs> Okay, we're, we're trying to talk about how, you know, given how badly – and look, I, I don't want to overplay this. There, there wasn't the red wave that a lot of us thought was going to happen. But I think part of it was, again, because it, it's traced to Donald Trump. Donald Trump's endorsement was – in; it might have helped people in primaries, but it resulted in people – Getting the Republican nominations in various states that were the least desirable candidate, and then it was an albatross around their neck. And Trump continues to do stuff that is just infuriating. Whether it's Ron DeSantis better not run against me because I know all this dirt on him, and his wife is running the campaign, and he'll be embarrassed with what I'll do. That's that. That's like mafia stuff. And, and then the, the, I just Alex Crow had this story, and it just my blood pressure went off I, again. I was reminding of this. Okay, the Speaker of the Assembly is Robin Voss, right? People love Voss. People hate Voss. Voss, and I've known Robin for going on 30 years now, okay? Robin Voss has been—he was at the tip of the spear during Act 10. You know, he was the guy that, you know, kept the legislature together, pushed this through in the face of death threats and protests. He has been one of the principal conservative voices for the conservative movement in Wisconsin for the last couple decades, love it or not. And so what happens is after Trump loses in 2020, just like he tried to do in Georgia, when he goes to the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, and says, well, I I want you to decertify this election. I mean, just find me, you know, a few more thousand votes and I'll do the the rest. Huh? He he goes after Voss. Okay, Voss – Hires Michael Gabelman to, you know, investigate whether there were election irregularities. When nothing comes up, then, you know, Voss says, okay, we're, we're done with this. And then Trump goes nuts, just nuts. And he starts supporting some guy that's wearing a tinfoil hat that runs against Voss in the primary. OK, Voss wins there. So just last week, Trump is making robocalls to Voss's district, encouraging people to vote for this Adam Steen, whose whole premise is we're going to decertify the election and we're going to walk in and frog march Joe Biden out of office and we're going to reinstall Donald Trump. I mean, it, it's tinfoil hat stuff. And and this is no, Trump is making calls to Voss's district, saying he's a horrendous rhino. Well, Robin Voss might be many things, but he's not a Republican in name only. And Trump doesn't know anything about him, and he doesn't know anything about Wisconsin. But this is this this lashing out like uh, again like a spoiled kid who's been told that you can't have that fifth cookie after you've eaten four. And it's it's this type of stuff that just drives me crazy. Now he tried to do it, and and the effect of If he would have been able to be successful, he wouldn't have gotten his tinfoil hat wearing supporter elected. He would have maybe tried to siphon enough votes off that a Democrat would have come in. Now, it didn't work. Voss won re election, no surprise, easy. But this is the type of stuff, and that's not the word I want to use, that that Trump does. He's got to go away. And, and if he won't go away quietly himself, it's time for Republican voters to say he's got to go away. Jeff, Donald Trump won't go anywhere. He will be that thing you thought you wanted and needed, but is now a real pain in the you-know-where, and you can't get rid of it. I think a lot of us have had girlfriends or boyfriends that probably fit into that description. I really thought this was going to be good. Now, how, how do I get rid of this? All right, let's talk to Mike and Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
1: Yeah, long time no speak. Um, I uh, just had two quick things. First of all, anecdotally, my most Trumpian friend, I texted him this morning. I said exactly what we're talking about here today. And he actually got back to me and said he agrees. And I think that's a big move for someone like that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think is even if we pretend that Trump is the right candidate or that he did the right thing, you know, for the Trumpians that are really into him, they have to ask themselves, do they want to be right or do they want to be effective in the next election? And I don't think they're asking themselves that. They're so dogmatic about Trump that they're really missing the long view here. And Trump is not the long view.
2: Right. Yeah. Exactly. I've got these people. I'm getting a number of texts, Mike, from people who are saying, well, here's one. I don't care about his ego or his personality. Our nation was better with him in office. Oh, okay, but but can't yeah. we do better than that? I mean, wh- why is this? Yeah, it's exactly. not a binary choice. I mean, there's there's all sorts of really tremendous Republican candidates out there, whether it's DeSantis, or whether it's Tim Scott, who was overwhelmingly reelected in, uh, in South Carolina, or Nikki Haley, or, or the list goes on and yeah, on. Well,
1: well, yeah. Why do we have to accept that type of person as the leader? You know, there's, we all know there's someone that could be all of, Trump's best traits, and I don't want to rob him from some of the things I actually think he did a good job with during, during his presidency. It's just his mouth and his face screws everything up, yeah. and we can do better. The country can do better. All of us can do better without him. We can have the Trump type of, you know, yeah. the best of the Trumps without the Trump. Yeah. And I don't understand why the Trump people don't
2: understand that. Right. No, I'm, I'm, Mike, I, I'm, I'm with you entirely, because it's always presented, well, you know, if if it's not Trump— you're going to lose that, that Trump faction. Well, not necessarily. I mean, unless it is a complete and total cult of personality, but there's all sorts of people who can represent that sort of populist message, but still at the same time be what I would describe as more like mainstream conservatives and stuff. Jeff, yes, I'm sick of his antics. Plus, he would be 78 when he runs. We need younger blood like DeSantis. Um, he will move the Republican Party forward, strong leader. You know, and that is that is this this other issue, and I, I say it. And I'm, I'm not uh, – I'd say it maybe as a throw-off line, but I'm actually serious. Can't – you know, OK, Joe Biden would be – if Joe Biden ran again, and I don't think he's going to, but Joe Biden would be 82 years old when he was elected. Donald Trump would be 78 or 79. Can't, can't we find some young whippersnapper in his 60s? I mean, seriously, or, or maybe even his early 70s or something. You know, seriously, why are we hung up like this? And I agree completely with Mike. I, I understand if there's policies of Donald Trump that you like – Okay, I, I get it. I understand that and I'm not going to argue with that, but you don't have to take all the other stuff. And just from a purely pragmatic perspective, you look at this and he is toxic. He, you know, yes, there are a group of people that love him and in a Republican primary, it's enough to carry some of these deeply flawed candidates to the nomination, but it's not enough to win. Um, let's talk to Earl in Campbellsport earlier on WTMJ.
1: I like to study U.S. history just for a hobby, and uh, he kind of reminds me of the later days of Theodore Roosevelt. He just couldn't stay out of it, and he sort of messed up the next election for the Republicans with the Bull Moose Party and all that
2: right. sort of thing. Right, right. No, you're you're, 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 yeah.
1: He was very uh, energetic and got things done, and all of a sudden he was done being president, and he just couldn't stand it. And uh, then there was the Bull Moose Party, and... yep. Well,
3: it didn't work out very
2: well. No, it, it didn't. No, thanks. I, and again, I look, I have no delusions that Trump's going to go away quietly. And, and you know it, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the name-calling. And how dare you? Ron DeSantis, If he better not run against me because I've got stuff that's going to embarrass him. And his wife is running the campaign anyways. Jeff, the perfect example of Trump being completely and entirely focused on himself— only, is the fact that after the 2020 elections, he did nothing but promote the big lie while in the Georgia Senate race could have turned Republican. He could have supported Republican candidates and froze the Democratic Congress. He doesn't care about the party or the country. Well, that, that's true. You know, Remember, after 2020, you had two Georgia runoffs. And instead of aggressively campaigning for those candidates, what he did is he, he used it to make it about himself and election denial and all this stuff, and, and essentially tell people essentially send a message that, you know, why go out and vote for the Republicans? Because look, I I lost, and we all know the election was stolen from me, so why even bother go out and vote? And that's why you get two Democrats. It's just, look, if you haven't figured this out, um, I intend to be here for at least the next election cycle, and I think it's time for people to plant their flags and just recognize that this is it's it's going to be an interesting two years and it's going to be a big year in Wisconsin because the you know the the road to the white house as always runs through Wisconsin you're going to have the republican national convention here in the summer of 2024 but i i really think people need to start being pragmatic people start to move have to consider moving on and if there is this obsession with well, I, this was the guy that was on Celebrity Apprentice, and I like the fact that he made up funny names and things like that, and I like the fact that you know, he, he just refuses to back down, and so he lies about everything. I don't care about that. It, it's, time, it's time for people to move on, and if you don't take that as one of the lessons, and there's others, and we'll talk about a couple of those in a moment. If you don't take that as one of the lessons from what happened last night, well, history is doomed to repeat itself. So very glad to have you with us. Um, it's just you know, somebody sent me a serious question. So, Jeff, what what do you think? I don't disagree with your analysis, but what do you think it's going to take for Donald Trump to, to go away? And, and my response, and it's not tongue in cheek and I'm not wishing it, but I said a serious illness. I mean, I don't think his ego... Will allow him to do anything but that. So I mean, I, I look. I, I think he's in, all in. I mean, the word is he's going to announce he's running for president in, in next Tuesday. He's going to say, "Look at the polls; everybody supports me," and he's going to try to clear the decks. And I just, I just that if, if unless you want to see the conservative movement completely and totally implode, people can't allow that to, to happen. And if you don't. If that's not a takeaway from last night, I don't know what could be a takeaway. All right. So th- there w- there is another factor that I think in Wisconsin, I think the state legislature, which is overwhelmingly controlled by Republicans, it's going to be 64 Republicans in the state assembly, 35 Democrats, and it's going to be a veto-proof majority in the Senate. It's going to be 22 Senate Republicans, 11 uh, Democrats. So, you know, the... If anything's going to get done, there has to be some working with with Tony Evers. Now, when we were talking earlier about why it was that Tim Michaels lost the overwhelming number, the survey says, number one, it was the fact that that there was the Trump endorsement. But the, the second thing was the abortion issue. And I think this is, this is something that has to be confronted. It was, you know, I don't think too many people anticipated that the U.S. Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe v.ersus Wade. I was surprised at the time they were dealing with a case that was out of Mississippi that said, okay, abortions, elective abortions, legal for the first 14 weeks, which covers about 92% of all abortions. And then, you know, they, they could have, the Supreme Court could have just said, fine, we're going to uphold that law. And you, abortion would not have become the issue that it was. I mean, half of the ads the Democrats ran, half of the ads were, okay, this person is extreme on abortion. He doesn't care about women's health rights and things like, like that. In addition, what needs to be mentioned is um, while abortion under this 1849 law or whatever is, is not legal in Wisconsin, at least under the terms of the law, it doesn't mean that women in Wisconsin can't get an abortion. Because what, what happens is all you have to do is you have to drive to Illinois. And I understand that, that that puts up a little bit of a roadblock, but I haven't seen a story in the last six months, and I know if this was happening, you'd hear it, about a woman who said, I wanted to get an abortion, but I couldn't because I had to go to Illinois. Matter of fact, the, the abortion clinics in both Waukegan and then across the border in Minnesota, they're, they're, they're booming because you know women are traveling there to get the abortion. So my point is that by, by making Wisconsin— an island, an anti-abortion island, we are not stopping women from getting abortions. Now, here's the the raw numbers. In Wisconsin and across in all the states, the providers, the health providers, are required to keep track of the number of abortions they perform. So to give you perspective, this is it. In uh, uh, 2020, uh, the Wisconsin Department of Health Services reported that Six thousand four hundred and thirty abortions took place in Wisconsin during 2020. Now that's either was that that's that's the total that's the location. So that could be people from out of state who came to Wisconsin or Wisconsin women who did it. But that's the number: sixty four hundred um, in 2021, which is of course the last year we have numbers: sixty five hundred and seventy nine. So less than sixty six hundred abortions were performed. So you know we we spent millions and millions of dollars for a procedure that I, I understand some people think it's a women's health issue, some people have very strong you know, pro-life feelings, whatever, but it, it, it involves a, a comparatively small number of situations, which I think all of us, regardless if you're pro-choice or pro-life, you, you, would, you would think that, that that's a good thing. But we're talking about like 6,600, but yet there, there's no question that abortion became that second in Wisconsin, it became one of the dominant issues. Um, the camp, they ran against Ron Johnson, even though he's more moderate on abortion, I think, than other people are. And, and that was one of the big issues with, with Tim Michaels. It was every third ad or every second ad was, okay, Tim Michaels is, he, this is what he's going to do. And, you know, he doesn't care. He's going to imprison women and all that type of stuff. You know, we saw those ads over and over again. I think we collectively as a state, both not only for the politics of it, but for the policy of it. We, we, we got we to gotta move on from this. And here's what I think the le- legislature should do. Um, I think that whether, I don't know whether it's 14 weeks or 16 weeks, and, and by the way, 95 um, percent of all abortions are pre- performed within that first 16 weeks. So if you allow elective abortions within the first four months, what happens is that that, that takes the whole rape and incest thing off the table because they're typically in those cases, they're, they're done sort of right away. But regardless, you got four months and then you put in an exception for life of the mother or health of the mother, however you want to define it. I, I think that, that covers 95 percent of the abortions. And it makes the issue go away. If you don't like 16 weeks, Roe versus Wade essentially had a 20-week limit. That's that's as a practical matter. That's how that was. But I think the Republicans in the legislature need to take a hard look. And I understand it's going to be tough because there's a lot of people who are militantly pro-life. But we we see where many, many people in Wisconsin are on this issue. And I think what needs to happen is the Republicans in the legislature need to – and I'm not predicting they will, but if they take my advice, they will need to say, "Look, we've got to put this issue behind us. We understand where the vast majority of voters are on this. It's a rel- we're, we're we're talking about, you know, 6,500 abortions in 2021, and it's got this huge impact that that's well beyond, you know, the that, that's that, that's now become this sort of cultural issue that's out there." And I think Republicans have to have a long, soul-searching thing and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to codify Roe versus Wade in some way. And I don't know if it's 14 weeks or if it's 16 weeks or if it's 20 weeks, but I think they need to come up with legislation – to say, okay, this is what we're going to allow, and then put that out there. And if you have Democratic politicians that want to argue that, no, we need elective abortions after six months or we need elective abortions after seven months, or there's some of the Democrats that don't believe there should be any limits on abortion a- at all up until you know even partial birth abortion. Okay, put that out there and then let people defend that position. But if you come out and say 14 weeks or 16 weeks, again, whatever you decide, that is going to cover— almost all, if not all, of the elective abortions that are done, and then you put in an exception for health of the mother. But otherwise, we're going to continue to have this culture war, which is going to be dividing this state. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the WTMJ talk and text line. I mean, do we really want to be in a situation where we are – we're, we're we're dealing with this issue on a daily basis, or the next time an election rolls around, that this is again, it's going to be all about abortion, especially given where the majority of people are on this. Can't we reach a reasonable legislative result that would? It's not going to make everybody happy. I understand it, but it would make at least a large percentage of the population happy to deal and and give people a way to deal with. Again, 6,500 abortions in 2021, 855-616-1620, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. I think it's time for this issue to go away, and the only way it's going to go away is if you get a legislative response, pick a time, 14 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever, pass the legislation, put it on Tony Evers' desk, and if Tony Evers decides he wants to veto it, let that be on him, 855-616-1620. We'll talk about it when we come back.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff
2: Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Look, I, I think, and, and, and while well, I am more moderate on the abortion issue than, than some people are, I, I respect people's opinions on this. And and how you feel about abortion depends on your personal circumstances and your religious beliefs and all that. And in some respects, this is ill-suited for public policy matters. I I, I get it. But at the same time, I I think collectively in this state, we've got to move past this on this issue uh, unless we want to be having the the 2024 election and the 2026 election the 2028 election all all based on on abortion. And I think we we need to move forward past this. And we need to recognize that there are there's got to be a consensus out there. Now, if you look at the polls and things like that, I, I think I think about the vast majority of people are where I am on this. I think the vast majority of people think that up to a certain point um, th- there should be elective abortions, and certainly for matters like a, a rape or incest or things like that, and also certainly for you know the life of, of the mother. At the same time, I think reasonable people would say there, there's there's a limit on that, and at some point in time that that unborn child that the woman is carrying becomes. Becomes a baby, and that you know we, we can't be doing things like partial birth abortion and, and things like that. And and I think we, we've got to come to that collectively, or else this is going to be the battle we fight. Which is why I, I think in Wisconsin we should adopt a policy, somewhat like whether, whether And again, I don't know what the time limit is. Let let people smarter than me figure that out. Fourteen weeks, sixteen weeks, twenty weeks, whatever that is. Pass the legislation, put it on Tony Evers' desk, and if he decides that that is that he wants to be the one who says, no, I'm not going to have it. Well, then, okay, then, then it's on Tony Evers, and he can decide why he thinks late-term elective abortion is something that needs to happen. Now, before we get to the phone calls, let me just share a couple texts on this. Jeff, it's not often I completely disagree with you, but I also think you may not have your finger on the pulse of it at this time. There are too many Christians in the state that will vote out their conservative representative faster than they can say abortion if they make any other concessions other than life of the mother, rape, or incest. I'm a conservative turned moderate on all things except this, and I will fight until I die, until abortion um, is simply no longer legal. All right, I, I respect that, but see, the, the reality of the world we live in is by Wisconsin right now, we're, we're an anti-abortion island and I, I challenge anybody to prove to me that there's been any woman in the last six months since the Dobb case came out that who wanted an abortion didn't get one. They, they just they went to Illinois or they went to Minnesota. Now it was an impediment, so it was a bit of a hassle to do that. I, but, but that doesn't stop people from from getting the abortions. So by all we do is make it more difficult to do that. And I guess my my question is um, you know, why do we bother with it? I mean, and again, I, I understand where, where people come from with being the, the anti-abortion thing. I understand where people are with the the death penalty and things like that, I, I which I happen to be in favor of. I, I get these different things, but at some point in time, we we need to, I think, work out some sort of legislative solution to this because the state cannot continue. I don't think it's good for any of us to be roiled over this issue over the course of the next two years. Jeff, I totally um agree with you. Um Jeff, why isn't abortion a referendum like the marijuana law? Well, you know, we we don't you know we don't have, you know we don't legislate via referendum. But you know that that was one of Ron Johnson's ideas. I mean Ron Johnson said, okay, maybe we should put this up to the voters of the state and let let's see. My my feeling and again could be completely wrong. My feeling is if you put a referendum to voters and you said, okay, here's the deal, um, and again, pick a time, 14 weeks, which covers 92 percent of the abortions and certainly rape and incest, 16 weeks, which covers 95 percent of the abortions. And if you put that out there, my guess is the overwhelming number of people would, would support what I define as kind of the middle ground on you know that issue. Jeff, on abortion, I agree. More reasonable positions on this and other issues could move my vote back into the Republican candidate. Good luck with that. Jeff, you're 100% correct on the abortion issue. The Republicans in the legislature need to follow your advice and get this issue behind them. Jeff, if the Republicans do not get rid of Trump and abortion, both will cause painful potential Republican voters to vote the other way, meaning get rid of abortion being an issue come election time, um, meaning it's time to negotiate some sort of agreement on abortion. Jeff, you're saying, you're giving sound logic. It's exactly why the Supreme Court overturned Roe and tossed it back to the states to decide we should have a referendum to see how people in Wisconsin stand. And then the legislature should put their collective heads together, find a reasonable common ground like the ones you, you stated. And again, I, I don't know what 14 weeks or 16 weeks are magic, but, but it, it, it's something that I think, again, to me, it's good policy. It, it, because we're not having this discussion of, you know, can nobody get an abortion? And that's the point I keep emphasizing. Anybody who wants an abortion in Wisconsin can get one. All they they do, and Planned Parenthood will do this. Planned Parenthood, you know, drives them down to Illinois, and they get it. So, it's not like we are preventing abortions for all my dear friends in the pro-life movement. It's still it's happening out there. And then you know, but. So why are, we make, why are we putting up all the, these hoops that are there? Now, if you want to have a national debate about whether the country should ban abortion, that's a whole different conversation. But I'm just talking about Wisconsin right now. Let's talk to Susan in Oconomowoc. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Susan.
0: Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I essentially agree. I think we need to move on. They're, everybody has their different morals. Personally, I am a woman, and I'm pro-life, but (laughs) we're never going to resolve. Everybody's not always going to agree on this point. I personally do not like federal funds being used Mm -hmm. for that. The point I want to make, and it is a pro-life point that I haven't heard anti-abortion people say, is it's not the health of the mother. It is a life issue. So the whole issue of incest or rape doesn't change the fact that a life was created. Mm-hmm. And I wish that point would have been made a while ago. But, yes, I I will not change my stance, and I will forever be grateful that the birth mother of my adopted son mm-hmm. did not choose and, to abort him. And, and Susan, and, 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 I, and, and I, pre- I, I, I very strongly feel that, but I agree with you. I agree. Let's present it to the legislature. There's many other issues. Let's just move
2: on. Yeah. No. Thanks. And again, and I'm not. I appreciate that. Like, and I guess that that that's my point. I'm not. I don't want anybody to hear this to think that I'm I'm encouraging people to go out and get abortions. That that's that's not my point. The point I am trying to make is under the state of the law right now, and anybody that wants an abortion can still get one. There, there's just these, these hoops that we have set up that you have to that people have to jump through. So why are we doing that? And why are we creating this huge political issue? And why do we have this huge divisive thing? Isn't there and look, and I understand that on this issue, there are going to be people on either side that are never going to be, they're never going to be happy. I appreciate our first texter who says, no, I'm, I'm just militantly pro-life. I will never support anybody that agrees with this. And I know that there's people on the left who feel that there should be no restrictions at all on abortion. And and to me, it's more like a balancing act. To me, there there's the, the rights of the mother. And at some point in time, you have the rights of, of the baby. And that's... That's what makes it complicated about the abortion issue, and that's why I, I think we just have to find a middle ground. I, I just on, on a policy matter, on a health matter, and just for my sanity, because I swear I don't want to go through another two years with every ad being so and so wants to imprison mothers and so and so, you know, wants to kill women because they won't allow abortions and stuff. We we need to find some sort of, of common ground. And then put this issue behind us, and then start moving on to other issues. And the pro-life forces can do everything they can to try to discourage people from having abortions and giving all the alternatives and things like that. I, I, I get all that. I, I love it, I, and I think that's completely and totally appropriate. But we, 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 if we don't figure out a way, and this is addressed to the, my Republican friends in the legislature to get past this, all, all we have guaranteed is that you know it's going to be even a, a bigger Messier fight over the course of the next two years, and nobody's going to be satisfied, anyways. You can keep the law in Wisconsin as it is, but it's not going to stop a single person from getting an abortion because they'll be down, they'll be, you know, getting the ride down to Illinois. So we'll be fighting over this and fighting over it, and it's not going to make any difference. Just from a policy matter, we've got to find a middle ground. Let smarter people than me figure out what that middle ground is. If you don't like my idea on 14 weeks or 16 weeks, well, come up with your own. But we, we've got to do something, it seems to me. All right, speaking of doing something, I've got another one of these stories about somebody that was released on a stayed sentence, and the judge, well, it's got to be just shaking their head. Stick around. Jeff, you know what I love about your show—it's one of our texters. You have reasonable people on both sides of issues who can come to your show and express their opinion in a logical and respectful manner. You should be a mediator. Thank you for your excellent work. Well, some people—some people might disagree about, <laughs> about that. Uh, one of our texters. What kind of soulless nation have we become when we're throwing up for grabs the life of an unborn baby for votes? Well, see that this is again. Look, I, I appreciate it's a problem because. The way you view the whole issue of abortion depends on, on your worldview and your religious views and things like that. But I, I I just, I continue to believe that we need to find a common ground on, on this issue. And I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but what people need to realize is in Wisconsin, I, we, we haven't stopped a single person who wanted an abortion from getting an abortion. We've just made it a little bit more difficult. Well, okay, what what are we really accomplishing then by, by doing that? And and don't we just need to figure out where the balancing of rights are and then just work something out? And from a political perspective, yeah, I mean, I, I think you say, okay, this is where we are, this is what the agreement is, and then put it on Evers' desk. And if he wants to veto something that's reasonable, well, okay, then you can have that discussion. All right. I want to completely and totally switch gears here. Um we'll probably double back on the election, but I, I wanna I also wanna be moving forward as well because I, I know it's too soon to be talking about 2024, but 2024 is going is to be big. You've got in 2023, in the spring, there's going to be a state Supreme Court election that will really decide the ideolo- ideological control of the court. And then, you know, Wisconsin is going to be very much in play in the presidential election. And with the Republican National Convention coming here in the summer of 2024, um, we're going to, I know we're going to be talking to a lot of the candidates and we're going to have a lot of candidates spending a lot of time here. And that is something exciting. One of the things, though, when they're coming to Milwaukee, one of the things that we need to have a conversation about is 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 the whole crime problem because it's one case after another, just demonstrating how out of control the um, how out of control the the whole system is. Here's here is the story. And I just closed the website I wanted. Okay, that's what happens when you have, like, too many of your, like, websites that are open here. Okay, but here's the way they reported on Fox News. Three Milwaukee men are charged in connection with a fatal shooting that happened at a gas station near 7th and Keefe on November 1st. So this would have been a week ago yesterday. A 17-year-old boy was killed. Police used surveillance to identify the men, and they were able to do it quickly because the video was high quality. Okay, now, now here's the story. Three Milwaukee men are charged in connection with a fatal shooting that happened at a gas station near 7th and Keith on Tuesday, last Tuesday. A 17-year-old boy was killed. The police didn't post the video publicly, instead asking for help. Uh, They didn't put put it up publicly asking for help. Instead, two parole agents and a police officer all verified the three men involved in the shooting shouldn't have had guns in the first place. The accused are... McAlon Bennett, Bruce Davis, and Dockwin Jenkins, Jenkins, and they all face the following counts. First-degree reckless homicide against Bennett, Davis, and Jenkins. Possession of a firearm by a felon, Bennett, Davis, and Jenkins. Bail-jumping felony, Bennett. Bail-jumping misdemeanor, Bennett. Okay, well, all right, so what got my attention just at the start is not just the fact that you've got a 17-year-old that's shot there, but you've got, okay, bail-jumping felony— Possession of a firearm by a felon against them all, um, which tells me, okay, they have been through the criminal justice system before, right? It's not the first time at the rodeo. According to the criminal complaint, a witness told police he was with the men who were with a man who was killed in the shooting, and words were exchanged between them and some guys at the gas station. He said as they got back into his car the group of men from the gas station immediately started to shoot at them, striking the 17-year-old who was killed. Surveillance showed a red Kia arrived at a gas station with the above-mentioned witness The above-mentioned witness went inside, got into an argument with five men who were already inside. When all the men exited the gas station, the witness said he got into his Kia and began to drive away. At that time, the complaint says Jenkins handed a firearm to Bruce Davis, who started shooting at the Kia as the Kia pulled away. The video showed another man in a bright blue sweatshirt also fired at the same time in the same direction— and Macallan Bennett also began firing a pistol with a drum magazine at the same time in the same direction. So there's some argument that breaks out at this gas station, and these three bozos come out, they're all armed to the teeth, and they just start opening up at this car like it's the murder of Sonny Corleone on the causeway at the Godfather. Police found... Police found 41 spent 9mm cartridge casings in the area. Forty-one. Forty-one. The victim died from three gunshot wounds. The death was ruled a homicide. No kidding, Sherlock. The three men charged in the case were all identified from the video, positively ID'd either by parole agents or police who had previous contact with all three. Bennett appeared in court on Monday, November 7th. You're a very young man. This is a violent crime. It's a step-two crime, said the court commissioner. Bennett's attorney tried advocating for a lower bail of $10,000 for first-degree reckless homicide. He's got his 21st birthday in jail. He lives with his mother. He works at his mother's daycare center. He helps her on a regular basis, and that is his employment. The commissioner set bail at $300,000, just as she did for Davis and Jenkins, who were in court on Sunday um, they're looking for a fourth person aiding and abetting. But here's the operative story. Th- these guys were out. One of the characters, I pulled his like CCAP record, he was, he was convicted a couple months ago of, of fleeing cops and eluding, and he was sentenced to two years in the House of Correction. Want to guess what happened? It was stayed. It was stayed, which means he didn't serve much time at all in favor of probation. He's out, he's armed to the teeth, and he murders somebody. When are we going to learn that we do not do anybody any favors by taking these criminals and just treating them softly, putting them back out on the street? Because when we put them back out on the street, you know all we have done is embolden them to go out and commit more crimes. And in this case, you've got a 17-year-old who is dead. You've got 41 bullet casings that are found at the scene. You have people who have no concern or compunction about taking other lives. And we've got a court system that turns these people loose. All too often. <music> Veterans Day honors the incredible sacrifices made by our brave men and women who served in the United States military. This week, we recognize all Americans who fought for us and continue, and continue to fight for our great country. From WTMJ, that is the radio station. My colleagues and me personally, we thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Week, presented by Tayback Law's Veterans Benefit Center. A couple updates on stories. Um, remember, a couple of weeks ago, we had we had the the mass swatting incidents. You know, swatting is for people who aren't familiar with that term. Swatting it refers to like the, the SWAT teams. You know, there was old TV show that was SWAT that, that shows the the guys that. Uh, come out in the the tactical response team, you know, and have the bulletproof vests and go through the doors and stuff like that. Well, it's been, there is this game, which in the world of the internet that that people play nowadays, where it's supposed to be fun to like SWAT someone. So in other words, you call 911 and you say, hey, this is, uh, I am, am I'm so-and-so. And um, I'm I'm at the, this particular residence that happens to belong to you know fill in the blank you know Joe Widget and Joe I'm Joe's wife and Joe is holding me and the three kids hostage and he's got a shotgun and you got to get here because I, I he's crazy I think he's going to kill somebody you know that you, you make the call then you hang up well okay when when law enforcement gets that nine one one call they, they they have to. They have to respond, right? That that's just the way it works. So th- this is this swatting is now this giant game. Here we're going to make this up. We're going to make this as a prank call, and then, well, all of a sudden the police are going to show up at Joe Widget's house and they're, you know, they're going to go in with guns drawn and they're going to put him in handcuffs, ha 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 ha. You know, while they end up investigating this. Well, that that's it's of course, you know, three shades of illegal, but it, it's one of the games that, that people play nowadays. So a couple of weeks ago we had this story where a number of area High schools and middle schools, within an hour, were, were subject to the, these fake SWAT calls, you know, and, and the calls were, I, I think on the air we even played one or two of them, they were sort of from this metallic voice which essentially said, I'm inside X middle school or I'm inside, you know, X high school, there's a man with a gun, he's just shot three people and you, you've got to come quickly, and then you hang up. And then you know we, the police really have have no choice but to respond, so the cops respond to these things with the SWAT teams they and, and it, they they call the hospitals and when this happened, it happened to like seven or eight different schools and what happens is when you know you're you're told that there's a potential mass shooting thing and you call the hospitals well immediately they they're you know they they stop everything they're doing and they prepare that gee we could be a mass casualty in, in thing, and thing we could be getting all these bodies so you know, we could get all these people so they they stopped their procedures in some cases surgeries were canceled um, you had schools that were evacuated oh uh, when we were talking about this when it happened a couple of weeks ago we got a phone call from one of the um, um one of the the ladies who was out there and she was in a situation where um she was did I did I miss the news? Was I, or did we do the news? We did not do the news. So I'm late for the news. Ah, oh, my goodness. See, my wife goes out of town, and I just get completely and totally just discombobulated. I'm late for the news. I almost never do that. But what can you say? Okay, we all make mistakes. <laughs> so very glad to have you with us. Yeah, I thought... Huh, what, what's going on? Oh yes, the news! We, we we forgot to get the news. So like I say, my, my wife is out of town. I'm I'm on vacation next week. I'm going to join her uh, at the weekend. But I'm just, when when she's not around, I'm just completely and totally lost. It's me and the dog and, you know, the TV set and the computer and like last night, you know, watching politics and stuff. Just um, regardless of what your perspective is, it's just, it's kind of one of these sort of intense experiences, especially if you're a political junkie. Tonight will be better. It's me and the dog and I'm going to stop off and get a pizza. So that's... That it's it's pizza. Tonight is pizza night at the Wagner house. OK, so I was talking about swatting and, and you had these people who think it's funny, but it, it's not funny because the police have to respond. And I remember we had a caller, a lady who said, you know, that she she got a call from one of her grandkids because the parents were at work. And, you know, that the school's been called off and the kid is on the street and they need to get parents. They're going to come and deal with this. And so it's it's an, it's not funny. It is a very, very big deal, and I think our general consensus was they need to try to find the people that did it and then try to bring them to justice. And I, my only caveat with that is, I said if they can find them, because in many cases, it be, just because of the internet, it's you never know how this is going to happen. And the the voice I, I heard a number of the the nine one one the swatting calls, and and it was this. It struck me as being like one of these r- computer-generated kind of like robotic voices. And my guess is it was the same. Well, here, here's the headline. Um, Franklin Middle School, which is one of the places that, that received the, the swatting call, Franklin Police Department said that the swatting call they received <clears throat> on October 24th came from a number in the United Kingdom. The call was made to Forest Park Middle School, which led to a lockdown and eventual evacuation. Swatting is when someone makes a false active shooter threat to a school or a similar organization. Um, The call, um, so they identify that this, uh, they, they think it's, they're not sure if it was related to the other calls or not, but they have identified that it came from the United Kingdom. Well, um, swatting is a felony, and the person, if you catch the person and you can prosecute them, it's three and a half years in prison. The problem is, if you've got these calls that are coming from overseas, whether it's the United Kingdom or Russia or wherever, your chances of, even if you can identify the number it came from, your chances of being able to catch that person are slim to none, and slim is on a bus out of the country. So it's one of these very, very frustrating things, and I don't have the answer other than I I think law enforcement... I appreciate the situation they're in, and these comments are not intended to be critical about law enforcement at all, but there's got to be some sort of protocol knowing that that this is out there, that there's maybe some way you can get some indication without too much delay about whether or not this is real or not. Otherwise, if this becomes the game that, you know, you've got bad actors in the United Kingdom or Russia or Australia or wherever, that this is their idea of fun making these type of phone calls, well... There's only limit, there's certain limits as to what you can do. It's not funny. It is destructive. But um, they may very well be beyond the reach of the American justice system. When we come back, all right, as long as we're talking about something that is tragic, not funny, and yet happens on a regular basis, got another story to share with you. Don't go anywhere. Unfortunately, the carnage just continues. Story from today's TMJ4. Two people died after a car ran through a red light near West Villard Avenue and North Tony Avenue in Milwaukee around 8, 1130 p.m. on Monday. So this would have been Monday night at 1130. Officials say the driver who ran the red light was operating a stolen blue Hyundai. All right. So after the crash, the driver fled the scene a seventeen year old boy sitting in the passenger seat at the Hyundai of the Hyundai was treated at the hospital for non life threatening injuries so okay, you have this car driver stolen car blows through a red light, hits a car there's a 17 year old passenger and then he runs seventeen year old passengers in the car they've got him, so you know they're going to find who the driver of the car was. There were four people inside the Buick SUV that was hit. police identified. Two deceased victims, 22 year old Nikala Evans, who was driving, and 20 year old Aaron Crooms, who was sitting in the passenger seat. Two victims in the back seat of the Buick sustained non life threatening injuries. Police say they recovered a gun during the crash investigation. The Milwaukee Police Department did not allude to who owned the gun or what car it was in. So, what happens is you've got one car. Heading south on Tatonia Avenue, it blows through a red light. There's this other car, this Buick, that's in the intersection. It has the right of way. Um, So it smashes into the the side of the car, goes through the red light. I, I don't have, they haven't said how fast it was going, but you know it was going like a bat out of you know what. That car, by the way, is stolen. So then the driver of the vehicle, the guy who was driving the car that has now killed two people, runs front seat passengers taken to the hospital. The second vehicle, you've got the 22-year-old Milwaukee woman and 20-year-old Milwaukee man who are in the car, front seat of the car, they're dead. Um, back seat passenger, um, they're, um, they're, they're not hurt very much, which is, I guess, that's the only good thing that comes with this. But it is yet another one of these stories that, that we could talk about on just a, a daily basis. You've got—now, I don't, I don't know how old the driver of the car that blew the red light was um, because hasn't been arrested yet, but he, he's got a 17-year-old with him in the front seat. So I, I think it's a reasonable inference that the driver is 16 or 17 or maybe 18. You've got these two punks that are out there. They say that there's a gun involved. They're not saying where the gun came from, but, okay, you're, again, you're driving a stolen car, um, you blow through a red light, presumably at a high rate of speed. You smash into a car. Um, obviously, bad damage is done, and you kill two people, and, and then you run away, uh, thinking you're not going to get caught. Now, again, my guess is if he's not already in custody, they will have him in custody relatively soon. And then, of course, the guy going to go off, and when he is convicted of you know, homicide by reckless use of a motor vehicle, he's going to go to prison for— 10, 15, 20 years, and he deserves to go to prison for 10 or 15 or 20 years, but it doesn't change the fact that you've got two people that are, are dead. I mean, there's two people who are are dead, and this is the type of story that happens just unfortunately every day around here with alarming frequencies. It's just, and and there doesn't appear to be any sort of any real realization about how dangerous this is. I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I am driving pretty much anywhere around this area, the the idea that, you know, you can just, when the light turns green, you can go. Well, you're really taking your life into your own hands because you have all these people that are out there who just don't care about anything, and they're off for the joyride. We're driving in the stolen car. Now, I don't know if they stole the car or not. I think it's a good inference that they did. But they're driving in the stolen car. They blow through the red light. You hit somebody. You kill somebody. You kill two people. You run off. You know, it's all this big joke. And I don't know what we can do to convince people that this is it's really serious behavior, that it's not a joke. But, I mean, here's the bottom line. It goes on and on and on with no, no sense of stopping. Hey, before we turn the program over to uh, John McCure, I did want to just mention one thing. I think if you're a regular listener to the program, you know that I uh, I graduated from Nicolay High School in Glendale. And when I was at Nicolay, well, the football team wasn't any good, and uh, the the basketball team was well, not, not that great either. But we just had a kick-butt tennis team. The, the tennis team, it was a regular— They regularly won the state championship and um, it just, and there was one point in time where I think from like 1967 to 1974, they won eight consecutive boys, boys, you know, tennis titles in a row. The head coach, was a guy named Jake Harry Bachman. He was also my gym teacher. I think he was, you know, he might have been the athletic director as well. But he was the he was the head tennis coach there. And he was just a legendary tennis coach. Now, I never played tennis. I wasn't any good at that or anything like that. But the team was incredibly good. He coached at Nicolet for like 40 years. I bring this up because um, he, he passed away the, the other day and at the age of like 93 or 94. But it's it's one of those things that if you... If you were involved in sports in the North Shore during the sixties and the seventies and the eighties, and particularly in, in tennis, you you know you know how legendary this guy was. I mean, he was he was the Vince Lombardi of of high school tennis in, in Wisconsin. They're just and and he might have had an even more storied career than Vince Lombardi was. And like I say, I mean, I was I was one of his students in the gym classes and things like that, and never got tutored in tennis and things like that. But he was just. Just an amazing coach, incredibly successful, and anybody who was like at my high school for a series of years know, during those, that period of time certainly knows him. So Kerry Bachman passing away the other day at the age of 93, 94 years old, sail on.